We are live. Let me. There we go. All right. It's another Friday, another Friday fraudster episode. Everybody, as you enter the room, what mood are you in? Drop that emoji in that shows us what mood you guys are in. Mark is here already. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope you're having an excellent Friday afternoon. Mark, every Friday is an excellent Friday. <laughs> Hal says the frog is the closest thing that he could find to fraud. Vaughn is here again. <laughs> Say again, Joe. Sorry, I cut you off. You're good. I said, isn't that a thing? Fraud, not frog. Kelly, isn't that? Okay. I was like, that's Matt Christensen. That's Matt Christensen. Yeah. Okay. Right. It is Matt. Yeah. Shout out to Matt. Right. Yeah. Shout out to Matt. So, everybody, we are here again for another Friday Fraudster episode. Now, today, is sure to excite. We have about 12 of us with us already. That's pretty fast. We're filling up. So we're just going to dive right in. Wait, before we dive right in, let me just say again, it is still Internal Audit Awareness Month and it is still Mental Health Awareness Month. I said this last week. Auditors, we have a hard job. If you feel like you need help, call someone. Go call a counselor. Go call a psychologist. Someone. Because our job is very very hard. And we don't want you to feel like you're alone. If you just want to talk to somebody, you can reach out to Joe Kelly or I. We love talking to people. Hal is on the line. Hal has a wealth of knowledge and Hal is a good person to talk to. I talk to Hal about a lot of stuff. He's probably sick of me, but Hal is a good person to talk to you guys. Stephanie is here and she says, glad to be back from Seattle. Mark is, wait, out of Utah. Mark, what are you doing in Utah? I thought you lived somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie is taking her lunch. Uh, wait, taking my lunch hour at work to be here. Way, yay, Stephanie. We are so glad to have you. Mark says, good job. So, guys, let's just jump right in. Today's stories are just all I can say is shocking. So let's just start. So, a former office manager in San An of a San Antonio dermatology practice has been indicted on bank and fraud charges. So we're going to do this one in three different parts, you guys, because she, man, this, this thing is just crazy. So let me just tell you the first part of it. So she worked at the dermatology practice for 16 years before she was fired last year for allegedly embezzling from the business. She's now 74 years old and she faces a slew of criminal charges over her time at the Dermatology and Laser Center of San Antonio. Dr. Stephen Davis has filed two, not one, but two lawsuits um, over the fraudulent scheme. He alleges the dermatologist practices office manager, Patricia Doucette, carried out. So listen now, he laid out the fraud scheme in his lawsuits, and one was filed against a bank called Frost Bank late last summer. Here's what he said. He said that Frost, the bank, substantially assisted her in her scheme to convert Davis practice funds and then negligently or fraudulently conceal the wrongdoings. He's saying that the bank actually assisted the employee in the fraud scheme. Here's the poor doctor. I really feel bad for him. So I'm going to dig into it and tell you what happened with Frost Bank. And then we'll discuss that. Then we'll talk about the next bank he filed a lawsuit against. This thing is just crazy. Hey, Rex is here. Awesome. 
Hey, so listen, I want to say something really quick. Can you pull up her picture? Did you see her? I mean, if I can look like her at 74, she clearly had a lot of work done at his office. So this should be an advertisement for how his good work was. Not that I would do that. You know what? I, I didn't put her picture in because the one that I found was uh, it was half cut off. Oh. But we'll, we'll see if we can find it. So, look, this is what happened. So according to his complaint, uh, uh, Davis and his colleagues, they were organizing a symposium in March 2012. And Frost, the bank, instructed Davis to open up a temporary deposit account for the for the symposium's funds. Frost was supposed to close the Frost, the bank was supposed to close the account after the event, but they never did. And this is what Davis is alleging in his lawsuit. Um, the office assistant began using the account to transfer cash and checks from the practice to that account. Now, Davis, the, the, the poor victim here, he said that he regularly monitored 13 accounts with Frost, the bank, online, and that they had, and with his employee. But he said that he was interacting with the bank and there was never a mention from the bank that the symposium account was still open. He's also alleging that the bank, Frost, the bank, accepted more than 300 checks payable to the practice, but deposited them in the symposium account. He's saying that one of the checks was a total of $34,000. He's also saying that the checks had marked on them uh, for deposit only. So he's saying that he asked the bank to deposit the checks in his practice's account, and they deposited them in the account for the symposium. Ooh. Do you do you think um, after you were reading it, and I know you have more facts to read, so sorry to interrupt. That oh no, you're good. He is alleging there's collusion with someone at the bank and her, because that's the vibe I got. Um, that he, and that's why he wasn't even mad. He would, wasn't even mad at her. He never even, you know, it doesn't even bring up his anger towards her. It's it's the bank, and so anyway, the word collusion just came came to my head when I was reading it. You know, I get, the same, I get the same thing because further on, she had a Chase thing and Chase made it right. Wait, I'm not sure if Chase made it right. It was another bank that made it right. Oh, she used the Chase card and it says Doucette stole money from another bank and began diverting. The other financial issue institution issued a credit card to Doucette and, quote, took responsibility for its fault in contributing to Doucette's fraudulent scheme. Oh, Chase, and, and then on the other hand, Chase has acted, acted evasively and denies all responsibility. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's a good point because now this just shows how different people are. So you guys think that it was that he's alleging collusion. Here's what I thought from it. I thought he was alleging negligence from the bank for allowing her to do it. So this is really interesting. So I'm wondering, what do you guys think? Mark, Heather? All of our faithful listeners. Hey, Pozo is here, too. What do you guys think? Just by me reading this, he's filed a lawsuit. Um, do you guys think that in his lawsuit, he is thinking that the bank, someone at the bank colluded with his employee? Or do you think he's saying negligence? Either way, it's a bad situation. But it's just interesting how we have different takes on it. But we, we, we all agree that it's bad. But now that you mention it, though, I'm actually thinking, oh, wow, that could actually be the case that he's saying collusion. Well, and I don't, I don't remember where this one was, was a uh, small town. You know, I think a lot of that has to do with 
um, where maybe my mind was going because some of these we've read have been in smaller towns, places. And I think that, you know, you get these personal relationships with banks sometimes. And I've never heard of Frost Bank, so it might be. This was know, San Antonio, Texas. Okay. It may be that it was a local, smaller, regional bank. And so I don't know. That's just where my mind, but I agree with you. It very much, he's citing negligence on part of the, on the part of the bank. Um, but, you know, can I just bring up one thing that I've always wondered about with banks on this is the whole idea of putting a date on a check and you're not supposed to be able to take that check to the bank and cash it if the date is out. But when has a bank ever declined a check because the date is out? Like these are the type of things it makes me wonder when you put things like for mobile deposit only, this bank only, this account number only on the check. Like, are those controls working at the bank? What's the point if if they take post-dated checks? I, anyway, I just I always wondered that. Well, so I tell you. Go ahead, Kelly. Oh, I had a case with a dentist. Imagine that a dentist where the office manager would go inside to the teller and deposit, say, four checks with the teller, you know, eye to eye. And then we had video of her leaving the bank and going outside and using the ATM to put the practice checks in her account. And, you know, so we had that video, like, why wouldn't you have done them all inside? But you go outside and you do a couple outside. Well, the ones outside went to her account. Well, and we found fraud uh, in my internal audit department. Uh, it was an annuity fraud scam. Uh, the person had passed away, but the processor changed the annuity payments, didn't put the, de the death in there, changed the annuity payment address to herself. The checks started coming to her. They were made out to someone completely different, right? Um, and there were even ones where uh, they were made out to companies, other things, and they would just sign their name and deposit it. So where, you know, where's the controls? And it does sound like I saw you pop up. It sounds like it is a huge institution bank. Uh, so yes, Hal found it. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting. So little known fact about Rob, no one asked, but I'll tell you anyway. So back in the day, I actually was a bank teller uh, when I was in college. So I can tell you that um, a lot of times, well, nowadays, the whole depositing thing is, is mostly automated because of a law called Check 21. And I'm sure you know about that, Joe. Um, but in cases where there are anomalies, you have a human who is manually looking at it. And so a human could overlook it. Or a lot of times, like you just said, Joe, not even in just a small town, if you're used to seeing a type of check going to one account, you will continue to make those deposits to that account because you're just accustomed to it. So when they opened up the symposium account, whoever's working in their deposit operations at the bank, they said, oh, yeah, this symposium account is related to this doctor. So it's probably OK. It's all his to begin with. I mean, and I'm just speculating it, but I've seen it before. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you guys, look, we have a lot of interaction going on here and Heather is here. Hey, Heather. Rex, Rex is my friend, guys. Rex Jones is here. Um, now, I'm going to get it right this time. Garnell, she's on her lunch break from the Bahamas. Did I say it right that time, Garnell? I think I got it right. I'm so sorry. I've been mispronouncing your name for quite some time, but I think I got it this time. Hal says, 
We had, I think it's Garnell saying, what's the deal? Do we really need checks? Again, I've said so many times, my kids don't know how to write a check, but they can deposit them all day long. Right? Hal says the doctor has nice skin. <laughs> She's got better. Right, right? <laughs> oh, Pozo says committing fraud at 74 is federal prison plan B for her retirement. <laughs> you know what? Here's what you get. That was that was just good. That was good. <laughs> oh, Stephanie says Frost is a donut shop there. Oh, wow. Huh. You know what? That does sound pretty good. Like some frosting, icing. And Hal, Hal, always Hal. He got ice frost. He got ice that frost. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, Mark is saying, unless there is collusion, do you think the bank has responsibility to determine where the funds should go? Now, that's a question I want to pose to us. What do you guys think? Can can we just can I just say um, what about last week when we were talking about the casinos? Rob's like I knew she was going to go here uh, instead of the bank. Like again, is this pushing responsibility off on? I mean, I know we don't like to victim shame, but you know he's obviously wanting to blame somebody. It seems like he's not even blaming her, the seventy-four-year-old office manager. He's blaming the banks. It's similar last week. They wanted to blame the casinos that they had some responsibility uh, in, you know, the funds. I know it's different, but my, I don't know. My mind kind of went to the same thing. What's what's the casino's responsibility? What's the bank's responsibility? And we know banks have a greater responsibility, obviously, uh, as an institution. But I I don't know. Kelly, what do you think? Well, banks have deeper pockets, so and they don't steal to save, they steal to spend. So she spent all the money. So the logical thing is to go after the bank. Um, you know, I've worked numerous cases where I'll get a victim and they're like, I'm going after my bank. I've seen it work well once, and that's it. The other times it's been you get 30 days. That's it, 30 days. Yeah. Um, but I did see it where the woman stole the money from the dentist. They got a, a non-disclosed settlement. They had a really good attorney. It was unusual. Um, but everyone, I can't tell you how many people are like, I'm suing my bank. And I'm like, good luck with that. But let me throw another wrinkle into this. He is blaming her, too, because his two lawsuits filed were against her and the banks. Right. Yeah. So. He is blaming her. Uh, I'm from Sweden. We don't uh, have checks. That's my friend, Jenny. I know she's showing up as LinkedIn user for us, but that is Jenny. Hey, Jenny, good to see you here. See, I'm cheating. I'm using my phone now whenever I can't see who's who. Uh, but Pozo says, makes me wonder about PayPal, Stripe, etc. I actually use Stripe for the clothing that you can buy on that auditguy.com. So... <laughs> so I actually use Stripe. Um, I used to use PayPal. They they will uh, they have some clauses that say that they will protect you in the event of loss. So what I will say, just my opinion in this, I think that my opinion only, I think that there was some negligence because if if he can prove that the back of the checks said for deposit only, the banks deposited the checks to the wrong accounts because he's saying that they were made out to his practice, not to the symposium. So the banks made the deposits to the wrong account when he properly endorsed them, if what he's saying is true. Well, and he said there that he actually crossed out the bank account, the right bank account number, and wrote in the symposium 
bank account number. And I think in his mind, he's saying they should have seen that red flag. We right. talk all the time. You can't just cross out one account number, put in your own. But is that, you know, is that just, again, another sign she has too many controls? We, you know, where are the one person puts, you know, puts the deposits in, another person checks the deposits when they come back, like these business controls that weren't in place, right? I know we don't want to victim shame, but, you know, he seems like he's upset because he thought he had control and it turns out he didn't have the insight into it. But does the bank have responsibility there for that manual? You know, it's like if you see, we learned as auditors, if you see an invoice where it looks like it's been whited out, right? And it's like a new vendor or something, that's what you look for as an auditor, those type of signs. So are banks, bank tellers, I mean, Robert, you tell us, are they trained to look for these red flags that the account number's been altered or something's fishy? That's my question. You are trained to, yeah. And, cool. and what they do in the branches is they, they make they make the person sign, you know, that or initial the error and then you take their driver's license and you notate that so that you have evidence of who was representing the organization but yeah what say you kelly um you know the thing is this went on for seven years seven years so um and he says he was monitoring them and he had hundreds of interactions with frost employees but there was never any mention of the symposium account that's where i see joe goes to collusion he said he was monitoring and then but seven years seven freaking years mm -hmm. yeah she she got away with this for an extremely long period of time so yeah um so what he's doing now is um the bank frost has said that it reserves the right to show that davis's damages were caused by his and others negligence and a failure to exercise ordinary care that's what the bank is saying now i do agree they do have the the right to show it you know to to, to plead their case so what do you guys think about that I like Dan's comment. I think the banks are now relying on data analytics to, to catch anomalies. And you know what? I just said this yesterday on a presentation. All the AI in the world is not going to stop fraud if the victims don't open the statements and look at the fronts and the backs. So, you know, we can have, you know, the best AI in the world, but you're going to have to like, and well, it's not victim shaming. It's just... Right. Well, it, Joe, you said your husband looks at your bank account every single morning. I was like, oh, my God, I got to start doing that. I don't do it. I know. He's my control. Um, anyway, um, you know, it, it, here's where it gets me is that he says he had complete visibility into those 13 accounts at Frost. He was the one that directed her to open this one about the symposium. He was the one that, you know, that was expecting the $34,000 to show up in a different account and it never showed up. If he was paying that close attention, wouldn't you have noticed something like this? And maybe his business was booming and we'll talk about dentists more in the next one, which just makes me crazy. Um, but, you know, maybe I, I don't, I just don't believe him that he was paying enough attention. Um, and yeah, where, why didn't he ever ask for a bank statement? When you open an account, 
know that you need to start now look at 14 bank accounts. Like this, this just is one of those. I don't anyway, whatever. <laughs> well, yeah. Matt, Matt Jones hits it on the head. Like you just said, Joe, did he ever get a bank statement? And now we have uh, Paulina. Paulina Salas says, yes, you are trained. Was it at different branches that we don't know, Paulina? But that's a that's a good question, because if it was at different branches, then you you probably lean more towards she may have been doing something, you know, underhanded. But um, Stephanie says, seems like he should have been monitoring his accounts. Yep. Uh, yep. Mark agrees with you, Kelly. So one of the things that this is like a, I don't know, this is a crazy thing, but um, we have different brokerage accounts, my husband and myself. I used to work in the brokerage industry. Can they make the accounts so they actually want to be readable? Like, honestly, I, I mean, you're just like, sometimes you look at your bank accounts and I don't know what they're doing, but it's like, you know, oh, the funds have gone up this much, but you're like, use some behavioral science to get people to actually like look at their bank accounts in a logical way. Well, and it's a huge, I came from retirement, right? Financial services, retirement business. Obviously we got slammed with fraud when fraudsters realized that nobody looks at their 401k balances. So what happened? Everybody's 401k started getting hacked. I had to go out and get my CFE. That's what's even got me interested in all this to begin with is because that's, you know, that's what they, they saw that gap and that's the problem. And um, Hal just said, my husband should be robbing me. No, could be robbing me blind. Uh, thanks, Hal. I'm going to implement a dual control right now just because you said that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah, I was looking. Oh, there it is. I was looking for that comment. Joe's husband could be robbing her blind. No dual control. So now, Joe, so, so that brings up a good point now. You and your son are going to have to double check your husband and then you and your husband are going to have to double check your son. That's right. And then your husband and your son are going to have to double check you. That's right. We're going to implement lots of controls. <laughs> lots and lots of new controls, especially <laughs> as we continue to do these stories. I'm going to even implement my own personal dental office controls for uh, uh, getting second opinions is going to be a new internal control that I'm going to place on my family. I just, anyway, I know you're going to eventually get to that, but uh, I just, I was really, anyway, intrigued. Oh, I, I have a thing I say, surprise and delight. And you know what? Mix it up. Always mix it up. So Joe, go to Nordstrom's for the anniversary sale and put a big pair of expensive shoes on and see how long it takes your husband to catch them. Um, he notices after I go first, for example, I went to Costco yesterday he he texts me and he says, I'm guessing it's going to be 250. And then like five minutes later, I'm like walking out of Costco and he's like, I see it was more than that. And I'm <laughs> but wait now. Let, let's take what Kelly has just said and let's take it a step further, because if he doesn't spot it within 30 days, you get to keep whatever expensive gift you purchase. He won't even give me 30 minutes, guys. You're like, he should have. I'm telling you, this is. Kelly, we have people who are agreeing with you. I love the idea. I love it. <laughs> now, so, so look, guys, it gets better. So Davis, the guy, he, he filed a lawsuit against Chase Bank in February. He alleged that the employee applied for a credit card 
in the company's name without his consent. And so he's saying that she used this chase card to make payments on all kinds of stuff and, and used it also to divert and diverted tens of thousands of dollars from the practice to pay off the chase credit card that he op that she opened up. And so now Chase is holding him liable for about $50,000. And he said that the account remains open and obviously it's accruing interest. Um, Chase is saying, no, you're, you're partially accountable. But apparently there was a third bank also. And the third bank has actually made him whole or has maybe not made him completely whole. But they have they, they have taken some ownership in what happened and they have reimbursed him some of the loss. I don't know how much, some or all. So there are three banks that have been involved with this thing. Chase Bank, Frost Bank, and another unnamed bank that I wasn't able to find. Um, the third bank has done something to make this man whole, but Chase and Frost are saying, no way, you're out in the cold on it. I didn't even <laughs> do it that time. I, that, Is it I caught that. No one else did. <laughs> Does it go back to the fact like that Chase made a good point in my mind that she was pretty much an authorized individual to open an account on behalf of his company? Um, it goes back to I can't remember who said it. I mean, I, now I see there's trust issues in my house in the chat, but there was trust issues going on at the dental practice, um, which I think, you know, there was too much trust. This is what happens with these office administrators. Um, they are given this authority and there's nobody watching them. I mean, that. I work out with this woman whose husband's a retired ophthalmologist. And when she found out what I did and I was talking about a dental case and she goes, oh, you mean the second wife? And so this is an older generation, but the wives of doctors refer to the office managers as the second wives. Wow. And I just was like, okay, that's a little bit, you know, generational, but she's like, oh, you mean the second wife, the one who buys me my Christmas present? And, yeah. 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 That, that's, that's, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yep. I, I'm, a, I'm a little speechless on that one. I, I, I know. I'm older than you and she's older than me. So yeah. it's generational. So let's go back to our audience real quick. Um, so Dan says, where's the tone at the top in Joe's house? <laughs> Mark says there's trust issues in Joe's house. <laughs> oh, I'm just getting picked on. Thanks, guys, very much. I have alerts set up. I know Matt said he probably has alerts set up. I do, too. I know what, what everybody spends. There's, there's lots of tone at the top. And Hal says, moving on. Honestly, I'm just happy that I'm not the one being picked on today. So, all right, I'm used to it today. <laughs> oh boy. So, yeah. So, that's what happened with our first story for today, you guys. This was uh, pretty, pretty doggone crazy. But while we are here, Joe, why don't you talk to the people about book club? Well, I am excited for the next book club. I was just talking about it on a another um, event earlier today. We're doing the book Think Again. I'm holding it up. Adam Grant. The best part about this book is the difference between having a debate and a dance. And I've been thinking a lot about this concept, and I want to explain it to everybody on the book club June 24th because I think we could all use this lesson in life, that we need to treat things as a dance, not a debate. I think it comes up a lot um, around social media. I think it comes up 
for auditors when we're writing audit reports. This is not about debating with the business area. This is about dancing with them. This is about coaching our organizations to be better and uh, not just catching things that are wrong. So anyway, I can't wait to like talk about this book. June 24th, 20 bucks. Come to our book club. It's going to be awesome. One of the best book clubs I've ever been a part of. This one and Bonita's book club, you guys, on Thursdays. Uh, Bonita, are you here today? I don't think Bonita's here today. Kelly, anything you want to talk to us about? Um, oh, yeah. Okay, so Joe is going to have to um, have this book. The Greatest Hoax on Earth, Catching Truth While We Can. Who in the audience has seen Frank Abagnale? I have seen him. I saw him at a very private, snuck me in event. And I didn't like him. And now I know I didn't like him. Um, so it's about Frank Abagnale's Catch Me If You Can that, you know what? He's maybe not quite what he said he was. Um, it's I'm only 65 pages in. My friend Carice Hendrick did a podcast with Brett Johnson, who was on the FBI's Most Wanted list. It's a great podcast episode. But people just, I, yeah, the reformed fraudster and Frank Abagnale has probably done monetized it better than anyone else. So you got to have this book on your book club, Joe. Here's what we think about Frank Abagnale. Here's what we think about Frank Abagnale. All right. All right. Uh, So, so seriously, guys. So for me, hey, guys, I am in full swing with the Ask Better Questions boot camp. That is my nine week boot camp, 18 hours of CPE. Join up, I guarantee you, it will be a very interesting experience uh, because you get to see me for nine weeks. And so interesting could go good or bad, right? <laughs> so, but no, uh, the Ask Better B- Questions Boot Camp is in full swing. Uh, if you've not read the book, Ask Better Questions, Get Better Answers, Perform Better Audits, that is my best-selling book. Check it out as well. And so now we are going to stop plugging ourselves and we're going to get back to our regularly scheduled program which is wait one last thing it is still internal two last things i'm sorry guys i jumped the gun it is internal audit awareness month you guys love audit like we do go to my website that auditguide.com backslash apparel and you can get your i love audit shirt now here's something that's coming up with the friday frosters it's going to be a podcast well it actually already is I'm building the website. I'm building the web page behind the scenes. So if you guys missed the live show and don't want to go to LinkedIn to see it, you will be able to go to my website and you'll be able to see Joe Kelly and I or hear Joe Kelly and I. You'll be able to see links to all of our web pages and all of our books and all of our book clubs and everything. But more, more, more. The better benefit is you'll get to carry us around in your pocket and listen to the Friday Fraudster show. The first episode that we did is already up, uh, but I'll be sending out the link later. I meant to have the website all built out before today, but huh, it's just been a little busy, right? You know, I only do a couple things. That's all. <laughs> just a few. Just a few. So next, the diabolical dentist. You guys are going to want to hold on to your hats for this because... This actually scared me. So I'm going to give you some uh, some background about some of the stories that we're going to cover. This one appeared in U.S. News. 
And it said that dentists know how to maximize the profits in your mouth. Eek. But sometimes it's outright fraud. So way back in 1993, Dr. David Silber, a dentist now practicing in Plano, Texas, was fired from his first dental clinic where he worked. He'd been assigned a patient that another dentist had been scheduled to do to do a crown uh, preparation on. And uh, if you don't know, a crown is a metal or porcelain cap that goes over your teeth uh, when it's broken or decayed. But the doctor found that there was nothing wrong with the tooth and he sent the patient home. What they did for his, you know, being honest and come coming forward in that is they they fired him. And he said that he was told never send a patient away from a clinic who's willing to pay money. Um, he's saying that it still happens even today. I'll give you an example. In 2013, a Washington dentist wrote in the American Dental Association's publication that um, dentists often engage in what they call creative diagnosis. Oh, boy. So now fast forward 2019, a study of dental costs found that there are wide differences in the pricing between certain services. Um, for example, teeth whitening, they're saying is 10 times more expensive, but not 10 times more effective than the strips that you can get in the drugstore. Now, isn't that crazy? So now there's another incident where one dentist has said that he saw x-rays of a patient that only needed fillings that cost about a hundred bucks. But what they did was they had a root canal, which cost about $2,400 from the insurance companies. And what a lot of dentists are saying is causing this is that there's an absorption, right? Small practices are now being bought out by chains. Corporations are buying dental practices now. And what they're saying is happening is that the executive at the top of these corporations are telling dentists which procedures to push. And those procedures are the ones that pay the most from Medicare, Medicaid and other health insurance providers. So that is where we are in the state of dentistry. Joe? Uh, yeah. Huh? Yep. <laughs> uh, three words for everyone. Conflict of interest. Really, I, I mean, this coming from somebody who had six surgeries over 22 months, interviewed lots and lots of doctors, different methods of doing some of the things that I needed done, uh, and they wanted to do it their way. And there might have been different reasons for that, uh, but everybody has their own interests and, and sometimes, sadly, their own pocketbook at heart. Uh, it brings me back to Dan Ariely. I know we've talked about him. Kelly talks about him all the time. Uh, all you have to do, watch his TED Talk on conflicts of interest about tattooing your face. Uh, and you will see how doctors, not just dentists, they have their own interests and they're thinking about. And a lot of times, unfortunately, like I said, that interest is their pocketbook. And that's what's happening with these dentists. So. So. I quickly, I, I've, I've done a ton of dental cases. I worked for the world's largest dental embezzlement firm. And there's one of these stories, um, a suspected of unnecessary procedures. And you know how it was found out? The guy sold his practice and the guy who purchased it started looking at the records. He found numerous examples of patients who seemed to have had unnecessary procedures, including root canals, pulp, 
caps, don't even know what that is, crowns and others. Now, my daughter just went, we, we were in Mexico and she chipped her tooth. I don't know on what, but so we've moved recently and we had to get a new dentist. So I reached out to a friend and she's like, this guy is really good. I sent my daughter there and actually, I think it was last Friday during Friday Fraudster. And she hadn't met the doctor before, but he said, yeah, you chipped it. I could put a crown in or I could just fill it and it's going to, it's going to work the same. So like he could have done it. And my daughter, you know, 22 years old, I have health. I, we have dental insurance, don't we, mom? Like he could have done it. Um, where, and I wouldn't have questioned it because I don't know where you need a crown versus like filling. So that's, yeah, that's why I love that this particular article that Robert found, it actually gave the, what can you do? I mean, this is why I love Robert's book. I love Kelly's book because it gives you at the end, the key takeaways. What do we do to avoid this happening in our own lives? Uh, and, and not doing this. So I think you know, I even learned something like Kelly. I mean, I totally get you. My son just had a tooth ex extracted and I'm like wondering if he needed to. I'm like, I'm second guessing and I'm thinking I didn't have the controls in my life to say, should we go get a second opinion on this? Because I think we trust um, so something like dental to me seems like we just we kind of inherently trust our dentist. Why is that? I mean, Kelly, maybe this is why it is such a big uh, industry with fraud and embezzlement. Uh, I don't know. I just, it's interesting to me. Yeah. And you know, so think about this right now, what we're saying, a part of the problem is, is that the small dentists where you probably got a more personal approach have been brought out, bought out by corporations and now we as consumers need to do a little bit more due diligence. But here's the other thing, bringing it back to internal auditors now. These are things that you should be looking at because these smaller dentists are now being bought out. And now you guys are a part of these corporations. And surely these big dental uh, conglomerates have internal audit departments, especially if they're publicly traded. So you got two things going on as consumers. We need to be more aware, especially after reading this article. My goodness. And as audit professionals, fraud professionals, ethics, we need to make sure that we're looking at our company to make sure that we aren't doing things like this. Yeah, I agree. And I challenge uh, internal auditors every day to think of the end user. That's the stakeholder. That's your customer. We often get lost in this box that auditees are just our only customers or some, you know, at, in some executives are our customers, audit committees are customer, but these patients are our customer too. And I can't emphasize that enough. Get outside of your thinking at your organization that you don't have a responsibility to protect these end customers and patients because you do. I completely agree with you, Rob. Well, you know, this is another interesting thing is growing up, I went to Dr. Vranazan. You don't go to Dr. Vranazan anymore. You go to Hazelnut Dental or, you know, Windrush Dental. Yep. And so they know that there's an end game and that they need to sell their practice. It used to be Dr. Vranazan, he'd just retire. But no, it's so, I don't want to say commoditized. But then the other thing, as humans, we're going to say if we have decent insurance and most people don't have great um, 
dental insurance, like it's, you know, so little for what you pay. But, well, if it costs more, it must be better. Mm. And we go to that. Like, I mean, I was talking to someone maybe on the call this last week. They gave me their rate. And I'm like, you need to raise that because people aren't taking you seriously as those other higher consultants. And I hate to say it, we just go towards the more expensive, especially in this kind of like, you know, roaring economy that we're kind of getting. I don't know who goes, who would, are you guys going to go to the cheap brain surgeon? Or are you going to go to the expensive brain surgeon? Which one? What a great, that's question. a great point. Yeah. And great analogy, Kelly. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. And yeah. somebody in the comments mentioned something about this only being worse right now because people have avoided the dentist for 14 months because of COVID, which is completely true. And don't you think uh, that we should be extra careful watching our bills right now, what we're being charged, what they're asking us to do, because they are rationalizing that they need to get some of that money back. They need to make up the fact that their practice has struggled over the last 14 months. So our due diligence needs to be even better in everything, not just dentist visits, um, but people. I mean, number one, COVID uh, or number one uh, scandalous fraud in 2020, ACFE, was COVID crimes. And I think because that can be so broad, because you can even think about the fact that people are now rationalizing going back and getting the money that they lost and they're doing that unethically or, or fraudulently. So I, that was a brilliant point, whoever. I'm going to give credit. I'm going to go back and see who that was. I think it was Dan. So, Dan, yeah. Prop, yep. Mark Anderson, Dr. Porsche or Dr. Hugo. Okay, <laughs> parking lot audit. The next time you go to your dentist, are you going to ask the office manager? So whose Tesla is that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, this, this actually took a turn that I didn't even see it going in because what Dan and Joe just said, that was that's really interesting. And I don't know why I didn't think about this, uh, maybe because I had too much on my brain. But, yeah, dentist offices have suffered during COVID. And now, especially those tied to big corporations, they are probably pressuring and not all of them are bad. So don't think that I'm saying that. But but there probably is some pressure from the top to make up revenue um, and yeah. Oh, wow. It's big business now. Like Hal said, he said yeah. it has become big business. And with that, you get the culture of big business. And that's part of the problem. However, I still see, you know, a lot of these fraudsters, Friday fraudsters talk about the small businesses. You know, this is still dental offices. I mean, are still having, having small fraud. They still they're ones more that, um, you know, have more control over what they're charging too, so they can change their fee structure when they need to make a little extra money. So yes, I see the whole big business piece, but I also see the, if we go to a mom and pop for anything too, we still have to watch ourselves. We still have to be diligent. Big business, small business. It happens everywhere. So Hal makes a good point. If the Tesla belongs to the receptionist, then, <laughs> then it's fraud. Now, Heather and Dan have an interesting conversation going on because Heather is saying that she hasn't avoided any of her doctors. It's been life as usual. But Dan, on the other hand, says that the only medical appointment that he has delayed has been the dentist. Uh, interesting. Yeah. I, I, I just put I did put the link, by the way this time uh, to the one we're talking about now. I can go back if you guys want. Um, I can also drop the 
the San Antonio dermatology one. Sorry, that one wasn't a dentist. Uh, but I put it in the chat for everybody. I'll do that one too. The other thing is like when you have a, a dental issue, a lot of times it's an emergency. Mm. And it makes it really hard to say, you know what, I'm going to go across the street to see, you know, Dr. Smith and get a second appointment when your mouth is throbbing or you can't take more time off from work or something like this. They really kind of have you, you know, in the chair. And are you going to say, stop? I want a second opinion. You're going to say, oh, my God, give me more Novocaine right now. Stat. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. How true is that? Yeah. So the question is who this all comes back to ethics to me. Right. Uh, who, uh, you know, it comes down to the who you trust. Who do you go to? How do you feel about their values, their ethics? Do they match your own? I mean, I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and vet their dentist for their ethics, but maybe they do. I, you know, it, it's doing our due diligence on it's, ethics. It's a referral thing. Like my dentist that I had in Portland was a referral. I went to him for like seven years and um, he got ripped off. He didn't tell me his, my hygienist told me, but you know what? He was a really like my husband called him like the patrician white guy. He was probably 70. He never pushed. Um, he never pushed procedures. Whereas our dentist before told my husband, his tooth was going to crack any moment now. And, you know, seven years later, it never cracked. So the first dentist my husband went to, he kept pushing my husband for a crown. And my husband's like, let's just let it crack. And then when we switched dentists, the new dentist is like, oh, it's, you know what, when it cracks, we'll crown it. So oh, wow. I say the getting a referral is really important. Yeah, I think you've hit on a good point. And, and Selena says that... Uh, Excellent point. Premium pricing doesn't mean higher quality. I believe it's the psychology behind this. Absolutely right. But Jeff is telling us that a former dentist of his purchased a car for his wife during a period of time where himself and a friend that he referred spent nearly twenty five to thirty thousand dollars collectively. Now, that is insane. Go to Mexico or go to Vietnam and have that much work done. It's about five grand. Now, Dan is saying just give copies uh, of Joe's book to all the dentists in the world. <laughs> So, Dan, thank you, Dan. Now, Jeff is giving a good tip. Uh, anyone suffering from dental pain, clove oil, natural products provide effective relief while waiting to obtain treatment. And I will say that is definitely true. I've done that before. Uh, again, we are not doctors, though. We're just playing one on the Friday Froster show. So I love that. I love the tips. I mean, this is this is more than just fraud. This is helping each other through life. That's what I, I see about this show. Ooh, but Matt is saying, should it be a red flag if the dentist's spouse is also the office manager? Okay, hmm. so I think I said this last week. I was riding up the ski chairlift a couple of years ago with an older dentist, his son, who was a dentist, and another son who had nothing to do with dentistry. And the older dentist clearly had been a victim of embezzlement. The younger dentist said, well, my wife takes care of the books. And I'm like, you know, one out of two marriages end in divorce. And then he jokingly says, well, she does like boots. And, you know, and I've, I've had several dental cases where the now ex-spouses stole. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and Pozo brings up a good point. When she was a kid, the family dentist was honest and said that getting braces for her was not worth it. You know, and, and think about it, though. Nowadays, every child has to have braces at some point. Yes. Why is that? Yes. Because that's an expensive treatment. And 
that article, you guys, there isn't a lot or a, a gentleman that's in jail right now because he left braces on too long. Did you guys see that one in there? I and saw I, it. How many of us have no idea how long our kids should have those braces on their teeth, have come for those monthly whatever checkups? I'm, I had them when I was young. I don't remember how often you go, but wow. That, like, who who knows when they need to come off? How do we check this stuff? It's crazy. So while we're talking about specifics that were in the story, let's talk about this one guy. Um, so after a video of Dr. Seth Lockhart, an Alaskan dentist riding a hoverboard uh, surfaced, he found himself in trouble. But let's just take a look at this and see if this is acceptable. Hopefully my sound will work. You know, I got a lot going on over here, guys. Let's try this. This dentist is performing a tooth extraction. The patient is sedated, but look at his feet. He's standing on a hoverboard. That's right, a hoverboard. When he's done, he rides off, zipping down the hallway of his dental office with arms raised in triumph. Dr. Seth Lookhart, who practices in Anchorage, Alaska, was apparently so pleased with his hoverboard surgery, he texted the video to eight people. We showed the video to New York City dentist Brian Cantor. I was shocked when I saw that. It was so unprofessional and unethical of what this doctor did. Now this dentist is on trial for Medicaid fraud and endangering his patients. This patient claims Lookhart botched the job on him while he was under sedation. This dentist is performing a tooth. All right. So you guys heard them say that he was on trial. So he was actually sentenced to 12 years in prison and you know, the hoverboard incident, I think, was just the tip of the iceberg because apparently there there was Medicaid fraud involved. So, you know, again, I think this was the red flag that got people to looking deeper into what he was doing and how his practice was being run. OK, so I really like Mark's comment and I second that. But um, in an ethical term, we, we say just ego, me, mentality crazy yeah i would go with the he just wanted to be known as like you know the hoverboard dent hoverboard dentist and it's like that's that's just crazy you know what i it, it's like trying to be famous right i mean everybody wants to be famous for something he wanted to viral i don't want to see my dentist on a hoverboard on a billboard like i don't want to see my dentist on a billboard period sorry old school I, you know what? That billboard costs a lot of money and uh, that's a hard one. I'm a little old school. I like, I like my old dentist who just, yeah, when your tooth falls out, we'll deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Now Mark brings up a really good point. He says, I think we need to learn to interview these people we are dealing with much like Kelly said about Frank Abagnale. She just knew. And, and that that's fitting coming from Mark because interviewing is his specialty. But he's right. We can interview people for work. And then in our personal lives, we just say, oh, we're going to trust what the doctor or what the dentist says. So that's a good point, Mark. Thank you for that. And can I give a second, uh, at least in my opinion, piece of advice is if they are trying to manipulate you by fear, you know, that's a red flag. And I, I Kelly said something that made me think that earlier. And I didn't I didn't say it at the time, but it maybe it's, you know, just the whole pain thing. You have to get it done right now. But, but if you see this, like they're trying to just manipulate you a little bit with this fear of something bad's going to happen. I hate the fact that they're using our term proactive that we love against us. 
we're trying to be proactive about our health, but then they are taking that to an extreme in my mind, saying that, you know, you have to have this done right now. Makes me think my son, they just told me at the dentist, he's nine, by the way, guys, you know, uh, some of you that have read my book, know Benjamin, they just told me all his teeth need sealed uh, to prevent, you know, further damage. I don't, I don't know. Is that just getting money? Like he's nine. Do his teeth need sealed? He still has 11 baby teeth he needs to lose. These are things where I'm like, you know, am I, are they trying to scare me that my, my son's teeth are all going to fall out if I don't give them sealed? Is it fear? I don't know. Okay. But then I'm going to not push back or anything. We have um, from Max, Malcolm Gladwell, but it's the Timothy Levine truth default theory. We have to trust people. Like, otherwise we're going to be miserable. We are going to, but like, but then trust. Oh, I got it. I got my sticker here, guys. From Brian <laughs> Willingham, trust, but verify. Like, you know, um, yeah. Uh-huh. Duped. I got that book too. Our <laughs> libraries are like the exact same. So, Sorry that you just got a, a shot of my sweatpants, perhaps. That's the coat. <laughs> Well, I think the big the big thing, too, is and, and I say this all the time, a majority of the people in the world are actually good. Uh, but you have a few bad apples that are the exception. And what we don't want to do is we do want to trust, but verify and be careful. But we don't want to live our lives where we make the exception, the norm, because that leads to paranoia. Um, but but yeah. When the bad ones get us, though, they really get us. And I think that's the bad part about it. So, yeah, most of the people in the world are good and we just have to trust but verify. Um, so now one other story. Now, there are a couple more in this article. I'm glad Joe uh, dropped it in the chat because there were a lot of examples. So the Texas Dental Board revoked the license of uh, Bethaniel Jefferson, a dentist who was practicing in Houston after she was found to be endangering her patients by needlessly administering general anesthesia to take advantage of the same insurance payments. Um, she left one patient in an oxygen deprived state for too long and the child suffered severe brain damage. Uh. Um, so what I'm thinking again, tying it back into us as audit professionals, there have got to be some ways you can do data analysis to see what the treatment is and what, well, actually I know you can do it because I was, <laughs> I was chief auditor for uh, healthcare operations and we started talking about things like that. And I had this one person working for me who was good at to, uh, telling us which procedures should fit with which medications and things like that. Now, unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to go in and do data analysis on that. But that's what I wanted to do was build out a system of here's the treatment. And, and obviously, that's just your red flag warning. Right. You still would have to do some sort of investigation after that. But you got the red flags. I wish Trent were here because he could tell us if that could be done. Well, we know it can be done, but he would be able to speak to how it could be done. And he may actually be here lurking. What, what I like about, what you said, Robert, about that is you're putting the patients in the front of your mind when you're doing things like that from an internal audit perspective. We need to we need to emphasize that in our profession. What can we do for those patients, those customers? What what other audit procedures can we put into place for them? Uh, that just that's just such a hot topic for me. Right, right. 
Heather says she had her sealant. She had sealant on her teeth and it was the first time. And she says, I'm old. Heather, you're not that old. And she said, no need to do that. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, you know what? This is like maybe going off crazy, but um, because I was in Mexico and my daughter chipped her tooth down there, I was really like, maybe we should just go to a Mexican dentist because I know in Puerto Vallarta, there's a, there's, there's, you know, um, what do they call it? Um, medical vacations. Why oh, yeah, is yeah. it? Why is it the dentistry is so expensive in the United States compared to other countries? Like it's it's kind of fascinating to me that it's so expensive here compared to other countries. I think you're opening a whole new can of worms. Yeah, yeah I was about I'm to say, I, I, I think we know why. And, and you know what? Here's one thing I thought about, too, with all these small mom and pop dentists being bought up by the corporations now here's one thing that happened welcome to the dark side welcome to the dark side they've now stepped into the dark side of the force hey guys one other story there were several stories in that article though i, I would i would suggest you guys read it again thanks joe for dropping that in the chat Dr. Scott, and I can't say the last name, a Wisconsin dentist was charged with fraud after he was found to be using his drill to intentionally break patients' teeth so that he could bill insurance for crowns instead of fillings. Uh, so he was actually indicted. The indictment alleged that he performed more than $2 million worth of crown procedures between January 1 of 2018 and August 7th of 2019, amounting to more than 80 fraudulent crown procedures per month. And I wonder, like, do the insurance companies catch this doing the data analytics? I don't know if I've ever heard of a dental patient whistleblower, like, it, because it's so hard. Like, I don't know who goes to my dentist besides, like, the person who referred me to it. So um, that's why. That is why they get away with it. You're right. We, we don't talk to each other. This is it. And it's, I'd say that's the customers of a lot of businesses. Yep. I mean, think about um, Wells Fargo, eight is great, opening accounts. We don't talk to other, well, I don't talk to other Wells Fargo customers, you know, to know how many accounts they have open. I think this applies to any industry. Uh, so who is that watchdog watching? I think the insurance companies need to be doing a lot better because they are the ones getting scammed in a lot of these. So insurance auditors everywhere, get your, get, you know, get involved in these kind of things. Build data analytics. That's where I agree. That's the opportunity. And this is another thing I posted on LinkedIn. I can't remember what it was about is not sharing the information. So like in Oregon, we have like Moda and then we have some private insurance. But do you think they share that information? No, they should be sharing it because that dentist is not only ripping off Moda, they're ripping off Blue Cross, they're ripping off. If they were to share it in some sort of, you know, sanitized manner, they could do a lot of good. So I don't know if there's anyone out there who works for like a health insurance. Do you guys share like you should be sharing because you know what? That dentist, just like a fraudster going to Home Depot is going to go to Lowe's. That dentist is going to screw with Moda, screw with Blue Cross, Travelers, whatever. So yep. sharing is caring. You guys know it's one of my favorite um, hashtags. They do have Yelp for Dennis, Harry, or Heather. I'm pretty sure I've seen Yelp yeah, for yeah, Dennis. Yeah, they do. Well, and here's what I would say. You guys hit on a very important point. Data 
analytics and we know that a lot of audit and fraud departments are so behind when it comes to data analytics except for in the the financial services industry when it comes to credit cards so here's what i'm going to say i'm going to tell you guys three different resources that i know of for data analytics you should probably co-source or outsource first of all trent trent russell runs a company green skies analytics he's very good at what he does I have another friend, Joe Orengel. Joe runs a data analytic company, uh, uh, Visual Risk IQ. And uh, someone I'm, I'm just getting to know, but he's a great guy, uh, Solon Angel. He runs a company where he uh, does data analytics, artificial intelligence for data analytics. So those are three people that you should probably get in touch with, especially if you're listening and you're an audit director in a, in a company, a chief audit executive, senior auditor, IT auditor. It's a lot of work and you can't do it alone. You probably should get it co-sourced or outsourced because this kind of stuff is running rampant and it affects all of us physically, financially, emotionally. People are being fleeced and insurance companies. I mean, for some of it, you can't blame them. They pass the cost back down to us. But if we can avoid it by putting these. If we can avoid it by righting the wrongs and and getting the people who are committing the frauds, we'll be better off. I almost said something else. Uh, that that's that's a big part of my closing. Kelly, Joe, I'll leave it to you guys. Well, can you tell me the the third name? I know Trent. I know Joe. Actually, just got talked to Joe on the phone last week. Oh, uh, I love Joe. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, so the third one is uh, MindBridge.ai. His name is Stolen Angel. He's the owner and founder of the uh, company. But yeah, I, Joe, I didn't know you knew Joe. I put it in the, I'm oh, sorry. I put those three names in the chat or in the comments for everybody. Um, and I just met Joe. So uh, yeah. excited to look at Solon as well. Yeah, I've known Joe for about, uh, I think we figured out about 10 years now. Awesome. Great guy. Yep. So I want to leave on um, the other note of it's not just the money. You go and you have a bad medical experience. It is going to change you going to the doctor or the dentist in the future. And again, it's not just the money. It is so, so much more. I mean, yeah. So it isn't just the money. It's your experience. When you have that bad medical professional, you will not seek out medical help as easily as before. I agree 100%. So you guys. Can I I leave everybody with my favorite quote of this week? I use this in a lot of presentations, but uh, I've had a couple people write me that they love this one. We are all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. So Charles Quindell said that. Um, I just, it kind of resonates with me when it comes to fraud uh, and these, these bad things that can happen, but make them a brilliant or a great opportunity. I don't know. They're disguised. Figure out how we can be better. I'm like, how can I learn from these crazy bad dentist stories? So anyway, I think it's a great opportunity for all of us. Absolutely. And, you know, guys, with that said, I think we need to go out on a happy note. So here we go.